In the information you have is a uh, mock-up of the, of the ballot we'll have when we vote on uh, the uh, merge with the campus of Harpeth Heights. And we will have our eighth campus, which will be the church at Harpeth Heights. So uh, that has been progressed to the point where our leadership is ready for you to confirm uh, the work of the Lord uh, in adding uh, this campus. So that means uh, we'll be adding um, Harpeth Heights. Uh, Nolensville is meeting in the uh, Sanctuary for the Deaf, the Chapel for the Deaf. And uh, they are running 180, 200 right now and getting ready to move to the Nolensville area. And we've already been in initial phone calls about what's happening on the other side of that, but they won't let me tell you that yet. So I'm waiting when I can tell you about that. Uh, isn't it great to be in a church uh, that God asked to do hard things? And isn't it great that our previous work has been rewarded with more work? Uh, and um, we're, we're excited about what's going to be happening in the west side of Nashville as, uh, as we begin to work with the Harpeth Heights community and uh, find the right pastor for that congregation and the right leadership and staff and see how God will continue to reach that area. So that'll give us a new campus in the east with Nolensville and a new campus in the west with Harpeth Heights. Uh, I am uh, I'm a big fan of magicians. Uh, I, I'm, not I'm not good at all with my hands. And so for you to be able to, to hold a card a certain way or hold a coin a certain way so that you can hold the coin in your hand and nobody see it and then pull it out of a child's ear has always fascinated me. And then when the, the magician started going big time and making like 747s disappear and, and that kind of thing, man, then I was really into it. And I said, wow, that's got to be something going on here. And then I found a television show. Have y'all seen this television show where this magician tells you how they do all the, all the tricks? And, and he always wears a mask so you don't know who he is because according to the mythology behind this show, he's had death threats from other magicians. <laughs> There's all just kind of one-liners waiting to be said here, and I'll just, I'll just move on. Um, <laughs> But according to the show, he's, he's under, you know, death threats about showing us how to do this. And, uh, you know, how, how you uh, put a coin in a can and all of that. And it's just, you know, most of the tricks are just kind of, he gets you to look over here while everybody moves into place over here. And you see the trick and it's like, oh, really? Oh, I thought there was something more to it than that. But there's sometimes it's just secret compartments and that kind of stuff. And it's really kind of, kind of disappointing once the mystery is explained to you. But we have a lot of mysteries in our life. There are a lot of things that, that we don't understand and we don't get until we actually have to kind of do them. Uh, for instance, one of the great mysteries when you're a kid is how you ride a bike, right? When you're a little kid and you're standing in your front yard and the big kids ride their bikes by and you go, ooh. One day I'm going to ride my bike. And then you beg your mom and dad, please take my training wheels off. Please take my, and they take your training wheels off. Oh, no, you took my training wheels off. Now i got to learn to ride a bike. So you sit down with your parents and they explain to you, okay, you have to pedal fast enough so that you have enough momentum going forward 
to overcome the momentum of falling over. That's how you ride a bike. Huh? Pedal. That's all you need to remember. Pedal. And then they, they, they get you on the bike and they run behind you, you know, holding the seat until you pedal, pedal, pedal. And then all of a sudden they yell at you, you're riding your bike, you're riding your bike. And you go, I, I'm riding my bike. Bam. And then you're not riding your bike anymore. But, but eventually you learn that if I pedal fast enough, I won't fall over. And then you're in college and the physics professor talks to you about momentum and how momentum can overcome gravity and it finally hits you. I've known that all my life. I was a physics major as a kid because I knew how to ride a bike. The great mystery of momentum and gravity was explained to you when you learned how to ride a bike. Hmm. You know, there are a lot of things about the Christian faith that are hard to understand, that are hard to make sense of. Uh, somebody will tell you, God loves you no matter what. The problem is you know what your no matter what is. And you think, I'm not so sure. You don't know what it looks like until someone shows you, until somebody loves you. And then you begin to understand, ah, I get it. This is how... God loves me just bigger. So Paul tries to explain to the early church in the closing verses of chapter 5 in the letter to Ephesians. Stand with me in honor of God's word. In verse 31, he quotes the end of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, the verse that we've been spending some time on, is quoted both by Paul and by Jesus. Here's where Paul quotes it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Help us understand your love for us in such a profound way that we live it without thinking about it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Inevitably, when you talk to somebody who is serious about their New Testament study, you will find and you ask them what their favorite book is. Ephesians will be one of those books listed. And one of the reasons is, is that the letter to the church in Ephesus is one of the more practical books that we have from Paul. Uh, it's obvious that a conversation has been going on between Paul and the Christians in Ephesus. Paul has a tender spot in his heart for them because he knows how tough it is for them to maintain the faith in the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a place where Paul himself was almost killed. And in another letter, he refers to his ministry there as having wrestled with wild beasts. He knows the daily pressure that the church in Ephesus is under from the pagan culture that they're in. They are a tough little bunch. 
And, and because of this, they're one of the first churches that are mentioned in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And they are chastised for having lost their first love, uh, for having become uh, so critical of other believers and so intense that they've spent more time being right than focused on being righteous. So they, they lost the love that propelled because they were so insistent on correct doctrine. And you can understand how that would happen in the setting of Ephesus. Now it's obvious that the, in this correspondence, the, the Ephesians have sent a letter to Paul kind of saying, okay, we're believers, now what? And Paul sends a letter back and he reminds them of the sermons he preached. This is what I preached to you while I was there. That's the first three chapters. And in chapter four, he goes to application. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have in Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ has done for us in his death, in his resurrection, here is now how you are to live. And he goes on from there to, be, uh, to, to give us instructions on relationships, life in a pagan culture, how we are to treat each other, how we're to handle anger, and how we are to handle our marriages. Now, it is unfortunate the way that we have broken this passage up with paragraphs because the hinge verse of chapter 5 is verse 21. Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Because the husband has a relationship with Jesus Christ, and because the love of Christ flows in and through and over the husband, the first place we see that and is in the way that he loves and serves his wife. Because the wife has a relationship with Christ, and because the love of Christ flows in and over and through her, the first place we see that is in the love and service for her husband. Now, Paul knows that he's introducing a radical understanding of marriage. This is a brand new teaching to the pagan world. So he does it by the oldest trick in the book. He gets them saying yes. Some of you are in sales. You know the trick. Get them saying yes. Uh, do we agree that your, your office would work better if your copier wasn't broken? Yes. Uh, do you believe your office would work better if I could sell you a new copier? Yes. Gotcha. Just get you saying yes. Paul gets them saying yes, and he does it by starting with the wives. Wives, obey your husbands. For Christ is, for the husband is head of the church, the head of the home, as Christ is head of the church. Now, what's every guy in the congregation done? Elbowed his wife. Bam. You listening to this guy? This man is brilliant. I hope you're writing this down. Write this down, woman. Write what Paul is saying. He's got you now. Husbands, love your wives. Now that would be fine, right? Love your wife. As Christ loves the church. How does Christ love the church? Christ died for the church. Christ laid his life down for the church. It's not enough that you're a good provider. It's not enough that you're a good guy. We are called, commanded to lay down our life for our wives every day as Christ did for the church. When you do that, the question of authority never comes up. You love her like that, it's never an issue. 
right after that, he connects it to the profound mystery. Now, how mysterious does a mystery have to be for Paul to call it profound? We have a mysterious mystery. How many qualifiers do you want to put on this thing? There are some things Paul is saying that you cannot understand about Christ and the church unless you see them first. I'm talking about the Christian home. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ in the home, mystery, Christ in the church. Christ in the church, mystery, Christ in the home. The first place you begin to understand the love of God, the first place you see it, is not the sanctuary. It's in the home. When you watch every day as a child growing up, a godly man who is a godly husband love his wife who is a godly woman. I had that privilege growing up. I grew up thinking that was normal. You know, when you get up and you see your parents, you think everybody's got parents like that. It was later in my life that I began to understand just what a profound gift I had. The first place you understand the love that God has for you, and the first place you see that is in the home where they had that kind of love for you. Where you're celebrated, where you're welcome no matter what. I know the hymns because that was the soundtrack of my life. Listening to my mom play them every day of my life. I learned to love scripture watching my dad study for his Sunday school lesson. Share his enthusiasm when he discovered the point that he knew he was going to make to his class the next morning. I've told you the time that my dad and I were debating a passage of Scripture. We're on the deck of his lake house, and he was studying the passage for the next morning. It was the part where the sun went dark in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus and, and dad gave the traditional understanding. This is where God turned his back on Jesus because God turns his back on sin. And I said, Dad, you don't believe that, do you? Do you mean to tell me that Jesus was faithful to the Father, obedient to the Father, even to death on the cross, and the moment when Jesus needed him most, the Father turns his back on him? Is that what you believe? He said, well, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the teaching is that God turned his back because Jesus was now sent. And finally I looked at him in the argument and I said, would you turn your back on me? You would have thought I had slapped him. He looked at me. You know I would never turn my back on you. Yeah, Dad, I know. Why do you think God the Father would turn his back on his son? See, that's what sin does. It makes it go dark and it makes you go numb. God the Father is there, but you don't know it. Later that week, he called me. Hey. Hey, Dad. Hey, I was flipping through the Bible, and I saw the notes where you and I were arguing. 
He did. Yeah. You do know I wouldn't leave you. Yeah, Dad. I know. So when it came time for me to hear the lesson that God loves me like a father, only bigger, I got it. It wasn't hard for me. The opening chapter, opening verses of chapter 6, Paul writes, Fathers, do not frustrate your children. I read that and I said, that is a really low bar for, for dads. Right? He's almost like saying, Dad, your kids will be fine if you just don't mess them up. Then I started doing Kairos. And I watched young adults sit at a table and freeze in panic. When I tried to teach the Lord's Prayer, our Father, and I tried to explain to them that God loves them like a father, and their father had been abusive, their father had sexually molested them, their father had been an alcoholic, their father had abandoned them, and to understand that God was going to do the same thing to them scared them out of their minds. I literally had to stop and say, if that metaphor, if that word picture doesn't work for you, let's find one that does. Fathers, do not make it hard for your children to believe that God loves them like a father. Help them understand the profound mystery that is God's love for them. Help them understand how fiercely God loves them and how fiercely God will protect them. I'm a big fan of rock and roll. And I had an album by an old group called Steppenwolf. <laughs> and Steppenwolf has a song where they use the Lord's name in vain. Most of the time I could catch it and move it over so mom wouldn't hear it. This time I was not paying attention and mom heard it. I did not know wood could bend like that. <laughs> My mother hit that door. <laughs> what is this? It's a record album. Who is it? Steppenwolf. This is garbage. You know what we do with garbage? Yes, ma'am. We throw it away. Snap went the album into the garbage. It went. Do you know I do not have a Beatles record? Not one. When John Lennon said that they were more popular than Jesus Christ, my mother looked at me and she said, you will never have a Beatles album in this house. I still don't have one. Just in case she comes and looks. I just... Do you understand how it is to be loved that fiercely? To have a mother who will fight for you? To have a mama bear that will take on any and all comers to protect you? Do you know what that's like? I do. I do. And now I'm caring for her. 
and I'm having to be just as fierce with her <laughs> as she is with me. I told her, I said, Dad told me, this is the way you take care of your mother. This is what I want done. And my dad had this thing that his jaw muscles would ripple when he was serious. You know, and I got all that full thing. I got the finger, and I knew. And I told her one time when she was mad at me, I said, Mom, I'm the only man you know is going to have two votes getting to heaven. Jesus is going to say, well done, and my dad's going to step out and go, hold on. I need to ask the boy a few questions. I thought that was normal. It's not, is it? Some of you didn't have that. Some of you don't have that. That's what the church is for. One of the great things about the local church is we create family. We create what the world tried to take away from you. We know dads aren't perfect. We, mo we know moms make mistakes. We know families fall apart. But when you show up here, you are not an orphan. Amen. You are a child of God, a bearer of his image. And when you come in here, we call it, we call it life group. But make no mistake, it's family. And you're going to have a dad, you're going to have a mom, you're going to have uncles and aunts, cousins, brothers and sisters, all in the faith. I don't have any biological daughters, but I have lots of girls. I've watched them grown up. I've been, grow up. I've been part of their lives. They've introduced their boyfriends to me. And I'll pull them real close and I'll whisper in their ear, if you hurt this girl, the only reason her dad would need to come is to pull me off. I have two biological sons, but I have a lot more sons than that. God has given them to me, and I relish every one of them. They've been at my house, and when they would get up to leave, I would say, let me walk you to the car, and all the other boys in the, in the room would go, ooh because they would know. Me and a young man in the driveway about to have a conversation. How do you understand this profound mystery? This love of God, you see it first in the home. Husbands, who love their wives, wives who love their husbands, parents who love their children, children who love their parents. That's where you first see it. And if you don't have a home, welcome to Brentwood Baptist Church. We're your home. And I want you to go back to that table that says next steps. And I want you to tell one of our ministers, one of our friends there, and said, Mike said you'd help me find family. And let us help you make that next step. This profound mystery. 
can't understand it until you see it. And you see it first when somebody loves you the way God loves them. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot, but this is a time to talk about some serious things. Husbands, let's get real. Do you love your wife in such a way that when people see you with her, they understand the way Jesus loves the church? That's the command. That's the calling. And maybe this is the moment you commit to that. Wives, do you love your husband the way the church loves her Lord? If you don't, this is a time to commit to that. And maybe you can spend some time this afternoon talking with each other about what that love needs to look like and the ups and downs of your life. Maybe you need to recommit yourselves together as parents to love your children so they won't have a hard time understanding how much God loves them. To love your neighbors. Maybe if you've been on the road for a little while like I have, maybe it's time to pull somebody close around you. Somebody who's younger than you. Somebody who's behind you in the journey. Someone who's just getting started. And make them part of your family. And maybe it's the first step. Obviously, you can't have a Christ-centered home. You can't have a Christ-centered life if Christ isn't in it. I know you're just thinking about all the times you've messed up, all the times you have broken things that you can't fix. And I know you'd want to pull me aside and tell me why your life is different. But we didn't come here together to unhear your failure. We came here to celebrate the love of Jesus Christ and the victory of his cross and the victory of his resurrection and the forgiveness that comes with that and the life of purpose and hope he now wants to give you. And it's your gift. It's a gift to you. And I know I'm saying a whole lot. That's why our ministers are at the table to call next steps. They're waiting for you right now. And more than anything else, they want to continue this conversation. Do not leave this place thinking you're an orphan. You're not. I beg you. Don't leave this place thinking so. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make now are exactly what you